Chapter Five of The Copper Princess. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Betsy Bush, April two thousand nine. The Copper Princess by Kirk Monroe. Chapter Five: The Trefethens. As Peveril walked with his newly made acquaintance through the brisk mining town, of whose very name he had been ignorant until that day, Mark Trefethen directed his attention to its various places and objects of interest. Of one small but handsome stone building surrounded by grass and shade trees, he said, "'There's where the swells gets their beer.' Peveril instantly knew it for a clubhouse, and with a pang of regret for the lost comforts of such an establishment, glanced enviously at its cosy interior, disclosed through open windows. At length they reached the modest cottage, built on the plan of a hundred others, that Mark Trefethen rented from the company and called his home. The room into which Peveril was ushered was scrupulously clean and neat, but seemed to him painfully bare and cheerless. It was lighted by a single unshaded lamp that stood in the middle of an oilcloth-covered table laid for supper. Half a dozen cheap wooden chairs and a sewing machine of inferior grade completed its furnishings. The newcomer had only time for a single glance at these things as he entered the door, before his recent acquaintance of the train, who now seemed almost like an old friend, sprang forward with outstretched hand, exclaiming, "'I'm so glad you've come, for I was afraid father might not find you, or you might get tired of waiting.' or that something might have happened to take you some other place. I would have gone back myself, only father wouldn't have it that way, and claimed twas his place to fetch you. Surely, son, and why not? Could I do less than give the first welcome to one who has done for us what Mr. Peril has? Mother took a step and shake hands with him who saved our boy to us this day. I couldn't believe it till I seen him hit Blackie such a blow as but one other in all Red Jacket has ever struck. "'What do you think of one ninety-five for a record?' "'Oh, father, you surely didn't take him.' But Tom's words were lost in the heartfelt, though somewhat trying, greeting that Peveril was at that moment receiving from Mrs. Trefethen. She was a large woman whose ample form was unconfined by stay or lace, and with whom to take a step was evidently an exertion— that she was also of an emotional nature was shown by the tears that rolled in little well-defined channels down her cheeks as she made an elephantine curtsy before her guest mr peril sir she said in a voice that seemed to bubble up through an overflow of tears may you never experience the feelings of a mother more especial the mother of a homely son which harrowing is no name for them as i were saying to miss penny this very day a true lady, sir, if there is one in Hall Red Jacket, and wife of number two timber boss, my mark being the same in number three. Miss Penny says I, but laws, what's the use of telling such things to a mere man? As I frequent says to my mark and my Tom, which he hain't no more'n a boy when all said and done, if he does claim to vote, and always on the side of his father when, if women had the privilege, as Miss Penny, who is a genuine lady, and by no means a woman sufferer, has frequent said to me, that it's a burning shame they shouldn't. Things would be more naturally equaled up. 
"'Same time, young sir, seeing as how you've come.' "'And is also nearly starved,' interrupted Mark Trefethen. "'Let's have supper. You've done yourself proud, mother, and give Mr. Peril a master welcome. But eating before talking, say I, and so let us fall to.' Faint with hunger as he was, the guest needed no second invitation to seat himself at the homely but hospitable table, on which was placed a great dish of corned beef and cabbage, another of potatoes, a wheaten loaf, and a pot of tea. Cups, plates, and saucers were of thickest stoneware, knives and forks were of iron, and spoons were of pewter, but Peveril managed to make successful use of them all, and though betraying a woeful ignorance of the proper functions of a knife, ate his first working man's meal with all of a working man's appetite and hearty appreciation. Mrs. Trefethen occupied a great rocking-chair at one end of the table, surrounded by a group of clamorous little ones, into whose own mouths she dropped bits of food as though they were so many young birds in a nest, and kept up an unceasing flow of conversation regarding her friend Mrs. Penny, to which Peveril strove to pay polite attention. From the opposite end, her husband expatiated between mouthfuls upon the fate that had overtaken Blackie that evening. But Peveril was too hungry to talk, and so apparently was Tom. These four were waited on by a slim, rosy-cheeked lass, with demure expression but laughing eyes, to whom the guest had not been introduced, but who, from her likeness to Tom, he rightly concluded must be his sister. She was addressed as Nellie. After the supper the three men adjourned to a little front porch, where Mark Trefethen lighted a pipe and questioned Peveril concerning his plans for the future. After listening attentively to all that his guest chose to tell of himself, he said, "'It's plain, lad, thee's not been brought up to work, and knows not of mining, but thee's got head to learn and muscle to work with.' "'So if ye wants job, thee shall have it, or Mike Trefethen'll know why. "'Now I tell ye what, bide along of us, and be certain of welcome. "'Take to-morrow to look about, and by night I'll have news for you.' "'Gratefully accepting this invitation, the Oxford undergraduates slept that night "'in a tiny chamber of the Trefethen cottage, from which he shrewdly suspected "'Miss Nelly had been turned out to make room for him.' The next day he went with his new-found friends to the mine, where, in the dry, he saw the underground laborers change into their red-stained working suits. Then he watched them clamber, a dozen at a time, into the great ore-cages and disappear with startling suddenness down the black shaft into unknown depths of darkness. After all were gone, he spent some time in the compressor-room of the engine-house with Tom, who was there on duty. The remainder of the day he passed in wandering among shaft-houses, rock-crushers, ore-cars, and shops, making close observations, asking questions, and gaining a deal of information concerning the mining of copper. That evening Mark Trefethen told him that he had made arrangements by which he could, if he chose, go to work in the mine the following morning. "'Jobs with timber-gang, lad,' he said, "'in bottom level.' It's hard work and little pay at first, only one twenty-five the day, but if he's game for it, job's thine. I am game to try it at any rate, replied the young man gratefully, and will also try my best to prevent you from being ashamed of me. No fear, lad, only fear is I'll be proud of thee and let others see it, which would be very bad indeed. 
Now I'll bait he hasn't rag of clothing fit for mine work. I have only what I am wearing, answered Peveril, who had left his trunks in Hancock. But I guess they will do until I can earn the money to buy others more suitable. Do, lad. They'd be ruined forever in first five minutes. Besides, thee'd be laughing stock of whole mine if you went down dressed like Jim Dandy. No, no, come along of me and I'll rig ye out proper. So Peveril was taken to the company store, where, with Mark Trefethen to vouch for him, he was allowed to purchase, on credit, two blue flannel shirts, a suit of brown canvas, a pair of heavy hobnailed shoes, two pairs of woolen socks, a hard round-topped hat, a dinner pail, and a miner's lamp. As these things were, by order of the timber boss, charged to Dick Peril, that was the name under which our young Oxonian began his new life, and became known in the strange community to which erratic fortune had led him. On the following morning he sallied forth from the Trefethen cottage with a tin dinner-pail on one arm, his working-suit under the other, and uncomfortably conscious that he was curiously regarded by every person whom he met on his way to the mine. As the dry was already overcrowded, he shared Tom's locker, and was grateful for the opportunity of changing his clothing in the comparative seclusion of the compressor-room, rather than in company with the two hundred men who thronged the steam-heated building devoted especially to that purpose. Having assumed his new garments, and feeling very awkward in them, Peveril made his way to the shaft-mouth. There he was joined by Mark Trefethen, who regarded the change made in his protégé's appearance with approving eyes. Together, and in company with a stream of men talking in a bewildering babble of tongues, they climbed flight after flight of wooden stairs to the uppermost floor of the tall shaft-house. An empty cage that had just deposited its load of copper conglomerate was again ready to descend into the black depths, and hurrying Peveril forward, Mark Trefethen, with half a dozen other miners, entered it. An iron gate closed behind them, and a gong clanged in the engine-house. "'Hold fast, lad, and remember there's no danger,' was all that the timber-boss had time to say. Then the bottom seemed to drop out of everything, and Peveril, experiencing the sickening sensation of having left his stomach at the top of the shaft, found himself rushing downward with horrible velocity through utter blackness. Instinctively reaching out for something by which to hold on, he clutched a rough-coated arm, but his grasp was rudely shaken off, and a gruff voice bade him keep his hands to himself. He could not frame an answer, for his brain was in a whirl, his ears were filled with a dull roaring, and a whistling rush of air caught away his breath. The motion of the cage was so smooth and noiseless that after a while he could not tell whether he was going up or down, though it seemed to be doing both, as though poised on a gigantic spring. At length faint glimmers of light began to flash past as it shot by the mouths of working levels, and finally it stopped with a jerk that threw its passengers into a confused huddle. A gate was flung open, and as Peveril stepped out of the cage he was only conscious of dancing lights, a crashing rumble of iron against iron, and a medley of shouting voices. At the same time all these sounds seemed far away and unreal. End of chapter 5